0: That better. That's better. <clears throat> Just a slight side. So glad to be with you tonight, and to have an opportunity to stand before you again, and to uh, spend some time in the Word of God. One of the things I like to do when I'm at Buford is uh, I like to ask folks if they have brought the tools, their proper tools, to the church building. Did you bring your tool with you tonight? Would you like to raise them up and show me? Did you bring your Bible with you? Great, great. Well, we're going to use our Bibles tonight. and We want to talk about a subject, I think, that is going to be a special subject to us all. A personal subject to us all. Something that we are passionate about. Something that has, at one time in our lives brought us, many of us, to our knees in deep heartache because of the strain and the stress that our sins have taken upon us. But to know that relief comes from the cross. To know that relief comes from our Savior, Jesus Christ. There's no greater feeling in all the world. When I was 10 years old, I grew up in the church. So I had an opportunity to hear preaching all my life. But I was a young fellow. But at 10 years old, I decided during a gospel meeting, Brother Franklin Camp was preaching down in Montgomery, Alabama, at the Chisholm Church of Christ. And I remember that night, wanting so much to obey the gospel, I wanted to respond to the invitation that night, but I thought, you know, I better sit down and talk to my dad about this. (laughs) He was the preacher. (laughs) So we talked about it, and we talked to about 11 o'clock that night, and we went over to the building, and he baptized me that night. And I remember to this day, I never felt cleaner in all my life than I did that day. My heart was clear. My conscience was cleansed. I was filled to overwhelming and thanksgiving for what I know Jesus did for me. And to have that personal relationship with Jesus was truly a wonderful thing. Tonight, I know you can recall those times, that time, maybe in your own life. It could very well be, though, that you don't have a memory of that. Maybe you've never had an opportunity to experience the process of transition between the life of the sinner and the life of the Christian. And if you're where I'm talking about now, I really, really want to talk to you tonight. And I want to share some thoughts from the Word of God with you. And if you've obeyed the Gospel, all this can possibly do is to maybe shore you up, make you feel even better about what you have, have a greater sense of appreciation for what Jesus has done for you and what Jesus provides for you as we study the Word of God together. What do you believe about salvation? It's a big question. There's a lot of people in this world don't have it. There are a lot of people in this world that don't know anything about it. There are a lot of people in this world that I think if they understood about it, there'd be a lot more who want to have it. Certainly the challenge is before us all to try to present the gospel in a way that people's lives will be changed, that people will have the opportunity to make the choice to live in a different way and to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Tonight, I want us to look at some passages of Scripture on the question of salvation. What do you believe about salvation? I want us to begin tonight by looking at a passage of Scripture in the fourth chapter of the book of Acts. And if you will follow along with me there, Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Well, just leading up to this passage of Scripture, the events that are taking place there uh, start actually in the previous chapter. Some things are going on, Peter and John, the disciples are going into the temple grounds and they're taking the opportunity to share the message. And Along the way into the, to the temple area, there are beggars at the gates and people who are crippled. And there's this one man who had been crippled from his birth. And and he was asking for alms and they caught eyes. And he was asking for some assistance. And Peter said, well, I don't have silver and gold. But he said, what I have, I'll give you. And he healed him. Now, I don't know about you, but... Uh, I can't imagine what it would be like to be unable to walk. About three or four years ago, I was playing racquetball and I messed up my knee. And I'll tell you what, it's awful painful when you hurt your knee. <laughs> and every once in a while, that, that knee flares up and it makes it awful hard for me to get up and down the steps. And so I can imagine how painful it would be to lose my strengthen my legs. But to have never had my legs at all, certainly there would be a sense of atrophy that had grown, would have grown in the, in the body of this man. But all of a sudden, Peter performs this miracle. This man gets up and he's leaping around and he's praising God and he's thankful for what has taken place. Well, you can imagine how this caused quite an uproar among the folks around, as they saw what was taking place. And so as a result of it, Peter and John have the opportunity, as it were, to be called before the Sanhedrin to give an account of what they're doing. And some of those folks in that Jewish council are people who are of the Sadducee sect of the Jews that don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. And the idea that someone would teach the resurrection of the dead in Jesus That would have already done done more than raise their eyes. They would have been upset. Beginning in verse 1, he says, Now as they spoke to the people, he said, The priest and the captain of the temple. And the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. Howbeit many of those who heard the word, that's the word of the gospel, believed. And the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day, as the rulers and elders and scribes, as well as Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power and by what name have you done this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people... "...is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Now is... nor is there salvation," he said, "...in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among man by which we must be saved." Passage that we've read many, many times. But a passage that resounds with a sense of explanation. There is a reason why this man who had been crippled from his birth is able to stand here in front of you today. And the reason is, is because of Jesus. It's the power of Jesus that's caused this man to be able to stand here today. It's because of Jesus that we've been able to be empowered to preach the message of the resurrected Christ. It's because of Jesus that we stand before you and and present to you a message about how you can be forgiven for what you've done to Jesus. A message of salvation. Jesus is the source of salvation. It's interesting how the New Testament speaks so much about salvation. Salvation. It talks about it in the book of Acts. And there are a number of examples that the Bible gives us when people were presented the message of Jesus, and when they did, they responded in obedience to the gospel. Repenting of their sins, confessing Jesus' name, and being baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. That's what it was all about. That's what the the whole thing was about. Salvation of men. Uh, The reflection of God so loving the world, as Jesus said in John chapter 3 and verse 16, that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Or as the Hebrews writer wrote in the second chapter uh, of his great book in verse 10, For it became Him for whom are all things, and by whom are all things, to bring many sons unto glory, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. You see, Jesus... God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, Godness, wants a relationship with man. And what a relationship, and that relationship is only going to be provided through Jesus Christ. Now, it's interesting that you find different people who reacted in a lot of different ways when the salvation was offered. Well, we know these Sadducees that we read about in chapter 4 reacted in a very, very negative way. What that tells me and what it ought to tell all of us is the fact that not everybody's going to accept this. Not everybody's going to accept the gospel. Some people are going to think that it's idiotic. Some people think, are going to think it doesn't make any sense. Some people are going to think that it is um, a, a pipe dream, the idea that all the things that you've ever done wrong can actually be taken away. The concept of salvation is just foreign to many, many people. But what we have presented in the Scripture is a realistic, a a simple kind of gospel that we can come away with with and say, you know, this makes sense. And from it, we can change our lives. And God, of course, can change our lives in it. Now, as I mentioned, there were some people that were affected about it a a number of different ways. You know, there were some people that uh, were saved and they thought that they were not saved. There were some people that that were saved, they didn't think that they were saved. Like on the occasion when when Paul and Barnabas had gone into... Uh, To that first missionary journey and they had gone through Galatia and so many various different places and planted the message of the gospel among many of the Gentiles and the Gentiles had responded to the message and if you'll turn with me over to Acts chapter 14 Acts chapter 14 when they came back there were some people that really struggled with what what, what they had done because they felt like not all the message of the gospel had been presented and so being frustrated about what they were going to do about it they uh they called upon uh, uh, uh the the apostles down in Jerusalem so that they could go straighten this out and so in acts chapter fourteen let's see let's uh let's start down in um, i guess about verse twenty six it says uh from there they set sail to Antioch where they were commended to the grace of God for the works that they had completed. But when they had come and gathered the people, the church together reported all that God had done to them and that He had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles so that they stayed there a long time with the disciples. 15.1, and certain men came down from Judea and, and taught the brethren, unless you're circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And therefore, when Paul and Barnabas had no little dissension and dispute with them, they determined that Paul and, and Barnabas and, and, and certain others of them should go up to Jerusalem to the apostles and to the elders and, and, and about this question. So being sent on their way by the church, they passed through Phoenicia and Samaria, uh, describing the conversions of, uh, of the Gentiles, and they caused great joy to all the brethren. And when they had come to Jerusalem, they were received by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all the things that God had done with them. And some of the sect of the Pharisees, who believed, rose and saying, it is necessary to circumcise them, to command them to keep the law of Moses. And so in the course of the next few, few, uh, I guess, uh, hours, uh, the saints meet together. The leadership of the church meet together. And, and, and they try to work out in their mind. What Paul had done is he and Barnabas had gone and they'd preached a message of the gospel that simply told people what they needed to do. They were led by the Holy Spirit. They, were to- they told people what they needed to do. They were guided by the word of uh, of Christ. Uh, in 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 37, the Bible uh, tells us, Paul told the church there that the things I speak are, are, are the words of the Lord. And he was speaking the words of the Lord uh, to these people. He was receiving revelation from Jesus Christ, Galatians chapter 1 and verse 12. And he was presenting that message in fairness and people were responding to that message and they were believing and they were repenting and they were confessing Jesus' name. They were being baptized as they had been commanded to do for the forgiveness of their sins. There was a lot of excitement, but... Kind of like the Sadducees back in Acts chapter 4, there were some Pharisees over in Acts chapter 14 and 15, or rather chapter 15, who come along and say, well, you know, there's more to it than that. We've got to make sure that they connect with the old law of Moses. Well, in the course of their discussion, and we won't take time to read the whole chapter, but one of the things that they make clear once and for all in this passage is, is that what God has guided men and what He guided uh, Paul and Barnabas to do when they went and they preached without commanding people that they needed to be circumcised or adding any more things to them, that they were in actually Christians when they had obeyed that simple message of the gospel. Well, you know, we live in a time where it's quite possible that a person could obey the gospel. I believe with all my heart that this message is a simple message. It can be understood. I teach that it can be understood. I believe that there have been people who have actually picked up this book and they've read through the pages of the New Testament, the book of Acts, and they've learned what they needed to do to be saved, and they've obeyed from the heart that form of teaching that was delivered to them and have obeyed the gospel, been baptized for the forgiveness of their sins. So often, people want to add to what has already been given. And it may not be that in this day and time that people are being asked to be circumcised, but there may be some other commands and some other ideas that a person wants to be added or wants to add to the, to the process of obedience. Once we come to understand that a person has obeyed the gospel according to the guidance and the guidelines that the Scriptures have revealed, then they're Christians and we need to see and understand that concept. So, some thought they weren't, but they actually were. But then on the flip side of that, there were some who actually were not, and they thought that they were. I'm clicking, okay. and uh, Or they were, rather, and uh, they thought they were, and they were actually not, like in Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. So, we look at Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 1. It says it had happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul had passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Do you receive the Holy Spirit? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, "Into what then were you baptized? And so they said, into John's baptism. And and, and then Paul said, John indeed baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon men. Them they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about twelve in all. Twelve people. Twelve people that thought everything was okay. When in fact things were not okay at all. I think perhaps we run into people sometimes from time to time. Who uh, maybe have similar kinds of stories. Maybe have stories that say, well, you know, I believe I'm saved. I believe I'm, I have a relationship with a God. And perhaps they spell out and they explain these various different things that they may have experienced in their lives that may not be in keeping with what the Scriptures specifically say. They may fall into the category, as these men in Acts chapter 19, where they need to address the concept of salvation from the point of view of what the Bible has to say, rather than what they've been told. You know, it's amazing to me how easy it is for people to believe what they're told. It's so easy to sit in a beautiful church building like this and to hear a man stand before an audience claiming to be a man of God and proclaiming a message that just really sounds good. And perhaps, for the most part, it is a message that is good. He may be preaching the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. But when it comes down to preaching what a person needs to do in order to be saved, maybe they veer away from some of the things the important things that the Scriptures say concerning what a person needs to do. Have people ever had to reconsider their salvation? Absolutely. Acts chapter 19. I want you to know tonight that personally, I don't know of anything more important in all the world than being sure about my salvation. Nothing more important in the world. In about 1829, down in Effingham County, Georgia, there was a man by the name of Christian Herman Dasher who had grown up in a denomination. And the denomination that he attended was a denomination that taught that what a person needed to do to be saved was to be sprinkled when they were a baby. And so, as far as he knew, he held that that's what a person needed to do. But when he grew up, he became a man, and he got a copy of his own personal Bible. He started reading through the Scriptures, and he started seeing that well, he couldn't find a passage of scripture where a baby was baptized. In fact, on the contrary, he found out that it was adults who were being baptized in the Bible. And so he went to his priest in his church and he said, I want to be baptized. And the priest said, well, you were baptized. And he said, no, 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 you don't understand. He said, I've been reading in my Bible and I see that adults baptized were baptized and... That's what I want to do. And he said, we don't do that. Now the story goes that Christian Herman Dasher started looking around to try to find somebody who would immerse him as an adult. Because all he could see was the importance of immersion. He found a man by the name of S.C. Dunning who was from Savannah. And that man came along and said, I'll immerse you. Because adult baptism is something that's taught in the scriptures. and So the Bible was something that they had studied together and they came to realize it was necessary and so he went out and baptized him. Now this is where the, the story gets really interesting. A good relationship continued between them. They studied every time they had an opportunity to get together. And the more they learned about baptism the more they came to realize its importance. To the point that they decided in their minds, we've got to do exactly what the Bible says. And we've got to do it for the right reason. So, they found out over a period of time that baptism was not only something that would take place for an adult, but would actually be for the forgiveness of sin. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Peter said, repent, let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, uh, they, uh, they talked to each other and they said, you know, I, I don't, I'm not sure that when we were immersed that we actually immersed each other for the remission of our sins. Well, they went back out to the water again and they immersed one another because they had such a strong desire to do what the Bible has to say. Let's think a little bit more about the idea of salvation. Salvation is something that has been provided for by Jesus, has it not? Over in Hebrews chapter 5, and I know that many of you perhaps can even quote this passage of Scripture, and, but I want to read it, and I want you to read it with me. Hebrews chapter 5. I love this whole chapter because there's just so many wonderful things. Verse 7 is so special, knowing what Jesus went through and the suffering and the hardship that he faced. Verse 8 says, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience. He learned obedience. He did what he had to do for the will of God. To prevail? Really, when we're talking about salvation, we're talking about obedience, are we not? We're talking about doing the will of God. Jesus was all about doing the will of God. He says, He learned obedience by the things which He suffered. And having been perfected, He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey Him. So really what he's saying here is, since he went through the process and and he paid the ultimate sacrifice, what God is saying here is, it became his call, so to speak. It, It became his natural right to choose how salvation would be offered. I mean, it was his salvation, was it not? And since it was his salvation, he had the choice as to how it was supposed to be given, how it was supposed to be offered. And he did talk about salvation in his ministry. He talked about things that were true. Turn with me over to John chapter 3. I know this is a passage of Scripture again. Maybe you've spent quite a bit of time in. But I want to suggest to you tonight that there may be some things all of us can learn about this passage tonight that maybe we've not considered in a long time, and maybe even never. Of course, this is a passage where Jesus talks with Nicodemus. Nicodemus, he is a ruler of the Jews. He comes to Jesus by night. And Jesus, on this occasion, talks to him about being born again and what being born again entails. He mentions in verse 3, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, Moreover, assuredly I say to you, unless one is born of water, and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. He's talking about salvation here, right? Right? But you know, one of the things that we do sometimes when we jump into verse 3 and we jump into verse 5 is we miss what's really going on here between Nicodemus and Jesus. Back up a little bit and notice in verse 1 what it says about Nicodemus. He says that there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, he was a ruler of the Jews. You know what a ruler of the Jews was? He was the man who was, I guess, uh, uh, in the uh, in the natural order of Jewish leadership, was considered an elder among the Jews, but you see, he wasn't a top dog. The one on the top rung was a scribe. And the reason the scribe was is because he was closest to the book. He was the interpreter. But the ruler of a Jew was the... He was the enforcer. He was the one that made sure everything was done according to the book. Just the way God wanted it to be done. And so he was certainly interested in what Jesus was talking about and what Jesus had to offer. Undoubtedly, he had seen or heard about some of the things that Jesus was doing. Maybe he had witnessed some of the miracles. Maybe he had heard some of the teaching. And he's doing things, he's talking about things that are really, really different than anything they'd ever heard. We talked last night about how that he preached differently than anybody else, even the scribes, the people thought. Matthew chapter 7, the end of that wonderful sermon. So the enforcer comes to Jesus. And he's wanting to know about this strange doctrine, this strange man. Can we really trust in you? Can we rely on you? I want you to notice the words carefully in the wording in verse 3. Jesus said unto him, most assuredly, listen to the next two words, I say. You know what that means? I'm going to talk to you about salvation. I'm going to talk to you about the new birth. I'm going to tell you because this is mine. This salvation I'm offering to the world is mine. The question is, Mr. Nicodemus, and he's going to get caught up with this, the idea of uh, 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 and get lost in the idea of the new birth as being, well, now, what what, what do you mean by that? Are you, are, are you saying that it's has something to do with entering in your mother's womb again? I mean, he's getting all caught up in, in, in the philosophical aspect. He's not really paying attention to what Jesus is doing. What Jesus is doing is he's declaring as a lawgiver... Of God, the truth. You see, anytime you read the words I say in red, if you've got red in your Bible, that's a mouthful. That's our Lord declaring a certain way and a certain mindset that needs to be understood. Now, there are truly, there were a lot of things that Jesus said that were hard to understand for the disciples. And you know what they would do, like in Matthew chapter 13, when He did the parable of the sower? What would they do? Well, after Jesus told the parable of the sower, and He talked about them, you know, the seed falling on the various different grounds, and how there was a reaction to, and you know, and some fell on various kinds of soils, and, and things like that. They come to him later and they say, why are you telling all these things in parables? But then what Jesus goes from there and saying to these men is, I say it because, and I know I'm paraphrasing, but what he says in chapter 13 is, I'm saying things the way I'm saying them because I know that there are only going to be some people who really want to hear what I have to say. And it may very well be that they don't understand what they're being told. And it could very well be that they may have to dig a little bit so that they can understand what I'm saying. But if they really do want a relationship with me, they'll dig. They'll look. They'll listen to what I have to say. Look down in verse 7. Do not marvel that I said that you must be born again. Don't marvel that I said something. Don't get lost in the born again idea and not understand that I am a lawgiver and I have a right as this lawgiver to provide salvation to whom and in whatever way I choose to do so. My choice is Through a new birth, being born of water and the Spirit. Look at verse 11. He says, most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. He said, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you Heavenly things. What things are true today? We live in a day and time when people have such a hard time understanding what the truth is. Well, certainly back in the, in the day of Jesus, people were struggling with what truth was. But I think what is being taught here is the fact that Jesus is the author of Truth. He's going to tell you the truth. No matter what you hear somebody else say, no matter what you hear somebody else tell you about salvation, can you verify it? Here's the question Can you verify what you're told to do to be saved by the authority of Jesus? He says in verse 21 But he who does the truth, what truth? What truth? He who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. The person who does the truth is the person who does what Jesus says. You know, there are a lot of things about salvation that I struggle with and I think if we're all honest about it, I, th- I think we would all have to say we struggle with it too. One of the biggies for me is the fact that, you know, in my life I have done some terrible things to God. I have thought some terrible things in my life about my fellow man and and, and, and things that I I am so sorry for. It is hard for me. Now, I understand it with my head because I've been told it, but I have a hard time understanding with my heart how that God can take all this mound of wrong that I've done and through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus Christ be able to so look at me because I've obeyed his voice. I've heard what he's told me. And I've listened to what he said. And I've enacted my life in keeping with what he told me. I don't know how he could have forgiven me. And the only way I know that he did is because he says he, he does. And he can. And he will. But I'm telling you, the only way that we're ever going to be able to be forgiven is if we listen to what He says. And if we allow ourselves to do what He tells us to do. It doesn't matter what Mr. So-and-so says, or Pastor So-and-so says, or So So and Reverend So-and-so says. At the end of the day, what's important is what Jesus said. Is it not? I want to follow what the Lord has to say. He's the author of eternal salvation. And so he directs me in the things that are of God. What Nicodemus was needing to learn on that occasion was about the new birth. He needed to understand that Jesus was a a part of that new birth and having a relationship with God was paramount and on the basis of Jesus. But you see, what Nicodemus as a ruler needed to understand is there's a bigger boss, if you will. There's a greater authority. And when Jesus had fulfilled His mission upon this earth and He stands there in the Mount of Olives and He makes the proclamation in Matthew chapter 28 verse 20, all authority has been given unto me in heaven and on earth. What that tells me is what I say supersedes what everybody else says. What I tell you is of paramount importance. I'm so thankful that Jesus loves me enough to give me what I need to know right here in this wonderful word. So, in the time we have left, in just the next three or four minutes, five minutes, let's look at some of the things that he says. John chapter 12 and verse 48. He says, Jesus said, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I've spoken, He says, will judge you on the last day. Well, certainly that's not something that I want to ignore. That's not something I want to just pass by. They're the things that Jesus wants us to do. In John 8 and verse 24, Jesus said, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins John chapter 8 and verse 24 gives us an ultimatum. You know, one of the things that I love about Jesus is that He is honest. He's straightforward. There's nothing about Him that gives you the sense that He is ever in the gray. He's always black and white in what He's saying. You know, sometimes I hear people say, Well, no, Jesus, you need to understand, Jesus, Jesus loves the whole world. Well, yeah, Jesus loves the whole world. But Jesus' love for the whole world can be seen in that we know where He is and where He's coming from and what He has shared. And we know that He's reliable as a Savior. And if He comes along and tells me that there is an ultimatum, that I can die in my sins... If I don't acknowledge and I do not accept the fact that He is Lord, not accept the fact that He is the Son of God, then what's what's left for me? Death in my my sins. It can't be any other way. And I think most people in the religious world, especially in the Judeo-Christian world, are quite happy to hold to the fact that we need to believe that Jesus is Lord of our lives. But certainly there are other things that Jesus has said. Luke chapter 15 and verse 10, the Bible says, Jesus said, Just so I said, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The importance of repenting. In Luke 13 and verse 3, he said, I tell you, no, but except you repent. You will all likewise perish. Repeats himself in verse 5. So important for us to see the the necessity of a change of direction in life. It's so easy to, to think, well, you know, I like the idea of a relationship with Jesus. I like the idea of having connection with my Creator, with my Maker surely He doesn't expect me to change my ways. Surely He doesn't expect me to live any different than I'm living. Well, the fact is, Jesus does want us to change our ways. He does want us to live in a better way. He does want us to go in an opposite direction from the direction that we're going in. And it's not just something that He just came up with. You see, the beauty of heaven is that there is purity in the presence of God. Can you imagine heaven filled with good-hearted folks who also like to dabble in doing things they want to do on the side? Can you imagine what heaven would be like? Is that the kind of heaven that we envision. No, you see, heaven is a place of purity. It's a place of light, pure light. It's a place of perfection. It's a place where God is, and it's a place where the angels are so thankful when they see someone on the earth decide, you know, I don't have to live for myself anymore. I can live for God. I can put Him first and make a change in direction of life. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 32, Jesus said, So everyone who acknowledges me before men I will also acknowledge before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him will also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Well again, Jesus wants us to have an attitude and a desire to say, you know, if Jesus has put his life on the line for me, you know, I think I'll put my life on the line for him. One of the things I do when young people or when anyone responds to the invitation, we take the good confession. And I'll ask them the question that was asked of the Ethiopian many, many years ago before he wanted to be baptized. When he asked, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? He said, if you believe, you may. He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. When a person stands before an audience and makes that confession, I usually tell them, God bless you for making that decision and making that choice and making that proclamation. But I also say, let me encourage you to realize that this is not the last time you're going to be called upon to do so. In life, you're going to be called upon many times to stand up for Jesus. And I want to encourage you that no matter what happens to you, no matter what situation you find yourself in, that what Jesus means when He says in Matthew 10 and verse 32 about confessing Him before men is as He says that that's something that goes with you all the days of your life. And if you really want Jesus to stand up for you on the day when you stand before God in judgment, to say, this is one of mine. You've got to be the kind of person that says, he's mine today. He's mine Tomorrow. He's mine when things are not so good. He's mine when things are going great. He's mine when I'm hurting. He's mine when I'm tempted. Anytime and every time. Standing up for Jesus and saying He's Lord of my life. You know, if you live that kind of life, I am sure, I am sure, that someday when you do stand before God, you're going to be happy with what you hear. But Jesus didn't finish talking about salvation at, the important, at this step of, of standing up and speaking a good word for Him. In fact, He continues on in Mark 16 and verse 16, and He said, "...whoever believes..." And is baptized will be saved. But whoever does not believe will be condemned. Jesus came up with the idea of immersion in water. A powerful thing to see and to witness, a strength that is there not to be found in the effort of doing, but in the power that goes there to provide the salvation that God has promised He would give when we submit to it. God has promised to forgive us of our sins when we're baptized. Jesus said to be baptized in order to be saved. There are a number of passages in the New Testament that talk about the importance of baptism. We're clothed with Christ in baptism, Galatians 3 and verse 27. Baptism saves us, 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 21. Salvation is something God has to offer and something that God gives us and offers to us and He demands a sense of respect for what Jesus says what Jesus shared, what Jesus told. And it's only through those things through which we might have eternal life. And finally, Jesus talked about faithfulness. In His Sermon on the Mount, He said, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things. And in the context there, He's talking about all the things that you need in life. They're going to be provided for you. And so a life of faithful living, a life of enjoying the relationships that other people have in Christ. Tonight, we extend the invitation of the gospel to you. If you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus, it is His to give to whom He will. And as we've noted in some of these passages that perhaps many of you have seen many many times in the past, and may be new to you tonight. And if they're new to you, they are the words of Jesus. I hope you'd write those down. You'd go back and look at them again. But tonight we're going to extend the invitation of our Lord to give you an opportunity to obey. Would you come repenting of your sins? Would you come and confess the name of Jesus? Would you be baptized? that your sins might be forgiven. It could very well be that you've done that in the past. And we're going to sing an invitation song to give you the opportunity to maybe start all over again. Can we encourage you to do that? Would you mind making a decision to just start all over again? We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to encourage you in any way. Whatever your need may be, let it be known while together we rise and as we sing. That's weary, tending alone.